Hello and welcome to Not If I Reboot You First, the podcast that takes our favorite properties and reboots them before Hollywood has the chance to. It's a little bit like brainstorming fanfiction. I'm Lindsay and I use she, her pronouns. I'm Tanner, they, them, and this week you can stand under my umbrella. Ella, Ella, A, A, A. <laughs> if, this, if this series had an anime back in like the 2000s, that song totally would have been used. So many, so many AMVs. So many AMVs. I have a secret project I'm working on that I'm trying to manifest an AMV set to Helena so long goodnight. Okay. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> okay. Tell, um, tell me about our People's Choice Polo winner subject for this topic of this week, the Parasol Protectorate. Yeah, the Parasol Protectorate is a series of novels by Gail Carriger. Um, it's an urban fantasy steampunk supernatural adventure romance series set in Victorian London that involves Alexia Terabati and uh, her various adventures with various supernatural peoples like Lord Connell McCon, a Scottish werewolf and pack leader and her best friend Lord Akeldama, a vampire. <laughs> a vampire whose style could give Louis and Lestat a run for their money. Oh boy, one oh, of those yeah. vampires. <laughs> yeah. So this uh, this particular series also takes place in the larger universe created by Gail Carriger that involves oh etiquette and espionage, or the Finishing School series, and a sequel series called The Custard Protocol, which follows Alexia's daughter Rue, which okay. is short for Prudence, because apparently Prudence was a terribly thought out name. <laughs> And anyway, I want to adapt this into a Castlevania-style anime series for maybe not Netflix, because Netflix seems to be going the way of God knows what, but some sort of streaming they, service. They probably. quibbied themselves. Yep. Oh, Netflix. Just took that shotgun and pointed it straight at your foot. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> it's a pretty straightforward adaptation of... There's like four books in this series. Um, four or five, five books in this series. And I figure, given the length of the manga adaptations of the first three books, that one book is sufficient for like a four episode arc. Or, again, Castlevania style, just have four episodes a season. Ugh, I, I'm, I'm getting sick of seasons that are that short. What are we, okay. British? <laughs> That'd be like if if you're only gonna do a four episode season, you might as well just make a movie. Yeah. So maybe in this case, let's say that there's about how many chapters are in this thing? There's seven chapters in the first manga volume. And that adapts the entire first book, or. Yeah, pretty much. Like, okay. it condenses some stuff, but, like, that's just because of the mediums. Okay, yeah. Can... I think we could easily just do book into a season, one-to-one. Yeah. In fact, seven episodes is a good number for, like, a shorter season. Yeah, well, and how long would these episodes be as well? Probably, if this were airing on TV, 22 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I guess it'd be a, a Voltron or a She-Ra, then. Yeah. Or Voltron or Shira, but aimed more at the Castlevania crowd. Yeah. Though I guess that there is overlap anyway, so. Anyway, our main protagonist is Alexia Terabody. She's a 
spinster Victorian upper class lady, which just means she's about 27 and not married. <laughs> and the thing is, she is what is called a preternatural, which means she doesn't have a soul. Hence the first book's title, Soulless. Huh. Now, in this universe, um, the soul is a measurable quantity. People with a lot of soul can become uh, supernatural creatures more easily. So you get bit by a vampire. If you have a lot of soul, you're a lot more able to survive the transformation into becoming a werewolf, into becoming a vampire. Same with becoming a werewolf. Um, there's really only vampires and werewolves in this, but like I'd imagine that there's witches and other supernatural creatures out there. Yeah, you could easily fold all this stuff into the world if you wanted to. Oh yeah, easily. Um, now, on the other end of the spectrum, you have preternaturals who are soulless, and they can nullify supernatural powers with a touch. Hmm. Yeah, so a, a werewolf who is in wolf form, if a preternatural touch, touches them, they'll turn back into a human. Usually without clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Lord Connell is naked for a lot of this. <laughs> Sounds like my kind of guy. Oh boy. <laughs> if this were live action, he would be played by Sam Heunan, also known as Jamie Fraser of Outlander fame. Oh, I like him. I, l I like the way that he's shaped. Oh yeah. <laughs> and trust me, first season of Outlander, you see all of him. <laughs> <laughs> you see all the shapes. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and also there is artwork in here of Connell in a kilt, which, yes, thank you. Thank you so <laughs> much. You, uh, <laughs> the artist for this adaptation understood the assignment. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the first, let's say first season, it's Alexia is basically being hunted by this group of scientists at a new gentleman's club who want her powers to create a super weapon that will basically wipe out the supernatural peoples because not everybody like this is a alternate history too where everybody is fairly okay with supernatural beings like it's a part of everyday life and they're fairly integrated into society mm -hmm. but of course not everybody is going to be okay with this so you have this group of scientists and they're like, we want Alexia to basically siphon off her powers. And she, at the start, doesn't really know what her abilities are other than, yeah, like, I, I can just, like, nullify your powers. I don't know why this is happening other than, like, I have a lack of soul. So it's probably that. We learn a lot more later. And it's a pretty straightforward adventure story, romance, where she meets... Lord McConnell, <coughs> or, yeah, Lord Macon, and they have, like, that whole hot-cold romance, but also they have the hots for each other, like, right away. <laughs> it's actually really good. They are super cute together. Uh, she gets kidnapped at some point, along with Lord Akeldama. And, yeah, like, I'm not doing these books justice, because, like, they're fairly straightforward adventure stories. Uh, it's more about the uh, world building that gets a bit complicated. Okay. So, like, there's an investigative 
unit that Lord Macon is involved with, and it's run by Queen Victoria, because yes, Queen Victoria is involved in this. She sometimes shows up. Vicky likes to have her hand in a lot of things when she's in things, you know? Yeah, yeah. She's <laughs> a very involved queen. Um, she's even the one who intervenes near the end when um, Alexia's mom is trying to force her to get married to this uh, Earl that she doesn't want to marry. And Vicky is like, look, Alexia's better off with Lord Macon. I ship it. Therefore, they are going to be married. <laughs> Because Vicky, if Vicky was one thing, she was actually a, a fairly decent matchmaker for various people in her life. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, most of her children had fairly happy marriages. Hmm. Yeah. Her grandkids, on the other hand, had a lot of drama. But not everybody's got a perfect batting average. So anyway, second book, um, Alexia and Lord Macon are married. Uh, this one in the manga adaptation is, yeah, another seven chapters. Um, so there's a bit of a, they go up to, uh, Scotland to visit some of, uh, Lord Macon's family because, okay, the thing about these werewolves too, a bit different from most werewolves that you're going to find in fiction is that they, like, vampires are kind of technically immortal undead. Okay, so more like the way, way back traditional folkloric werewolves. Yeah, a little bit like that. Hmm. Um... Gil Carriger did use the whole alpha beta thing when it comes to wolf pack structures fairly loosely. It's more like the alpha is just the leader and the beta is like the second in command. It's like a title rather than some kind of biological designation. Yeah, and like the only real difference between a an alpha and other uh, werewolves is that an alpha can turn their head by itself into wolf form it's called the anubis form huh yeah <laughs> so yeah that's a thing um we also get to meet uh, another fabulous character by the name of madame lefou uh she is very androgynous Ooh, i like her yeah uh she is this fancy french lady who dresses in suits and a top hat uh, she runs a hat shop, and she's also an inventor. Nice. And they go up to Scotland, they visit uh, Lord Macon's great-great-great-granddaughter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had a family before he transformed. He transformed back sometime in the 1600s, so... Okay, eh. yeah. 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 And you know what? It's supernatural fiction, and Alexia is, again, she's in her late 20s. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Um, so yeah, the big conflict is over, uh, pack leadership and basically setting up Sinead to take over her local pack as Alpha. And also there's a mummy unwrapping. And, uh, we learn that preternatural, the preternatural ability to negate supernatural powers increases after death. Ooh. So this becomes a big thing in the fourth book when there's all of a sudden this weird plague striking Egypt that's affecting all of their local supernatural peoples. And it turns out, oh yeah, there's a whole bunch of mummies that were preternaturals when they were alive. And there's a lot of them in Egypt. <laughs> now the big problem that happens in this book, the big misunderstanding near the end that leads into the third book, is that Alexia gets pregnant. And the thing about these werewolves also being quasi-undead 
is that they're sterile. Okay. Yeah, so Lord Macon automatically goes, oh, you've been sleeping with someone else. And it's like, no! There's literally been no one else. So poor Alexia gets sent packing home. And her her home life was not great. Her mom is kind of a bitch. And she's got two younger half-sisters. Because, oh yeah, her dad died when she was like really little. And her mom remarried a different dude. And Alexia's clearly the young favorite. Um, anyway, so she goes back home, but then leaves as soon as she can because there's an option for adventure. First we're going to Paris, and then we're going down to Rome because Alexia wants to connect with the Italian side of her family. All the while, Lord Macon is just being very Scottish and drinking a lot of whiskey. <laughs> this is also a man who has built like a brick shit house. so oh boy. Oh boy, he's going through the cellar. Uh, along the way, Alexia encounters another Petronatural who was mummified in her basement because uh, there was a cholera epidemic and uh, she got buried very quickly and kind of shriveled up. It's kind of creepy. Um, and basically this leads to a gondola chase, as Ooh. in like, you know, the gondolas at ski resorts? Yeah. Oh, I was thinking like in Venice. Just going yeah, real... they don't go to Venice, but they're, they're over... They've got the big sticks and they're going as fast as they can! <laughs> <laughs> that would be fantastic. Um, Gondola chase, which leads to an encounter with the Templars. Those Templars. The Knights Templars. So, it turns out that they're also in the whole, oh, we want to create some sort of super weapon to act against uh, the supernaturals to protect like the regular folks and all that and we're going to use Alexia to do it and it has connections to her dad who I think he might have been working with the Templars when he was alive but then like defected and subsequently died. Anyway this all leads to a lot of hijinks, a lot of escaping from dungeons and Lord Macon coming to his senses. There is a carriage chase too Ooh, and you know, eventually uh, they make up and all that sort of stuff. And Alexia explains, okay, Connell, when I touch you, you become a regular-ass human again. Fully functional regular-ass human. <laughs> and these two, Alexia and Connell, oh boy, there is a, there isn't a lot of full nudity in these uh, manga adaptations, but, um, not a lot is left to the imagination. <laughs> and they are a very busy couple. <laughs> so yes, Connell, the baby is yours. It's alright. And also, um, Lord Akeldama's boyfriend, Biffy. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, what's his name? <laughs> okay, it's a nickname, but everybody calls him Biffy. Biffy? You, <laughs> Biffy. you were waiting for me to be taking a drink when you said that. <laughs> Anyway, Biffy, um, he's what's called a drone, which is um, a person who is associated with a vampire with the uh, intent of becoming a vampire because vampires in this universe work like bees. Uh, huh. Yeah. So you have a queen vampire and uh, she can create drones. Uh, she has like her home base area and she 
literally like if she leaves she has to find a new home within a couple hours or she shrivels up and dies um and as she grows older uh she has two sets of fangs and um one to drink blood the other is to turn others into vampires and eventually the second set gets long enough that uh she can really only turn others into vampires and that means uh it's time to find your successor queen hmm yeah so anyway, uh, Lord Akeldama's drone, Biffy, uh, gets shot at one point, and the only way to save him, because he's not a full vampire yet, um, is for one of the werewolves who's rescuing him from an underground, from an underwater uh, prison cell in the Thames. The, the, we don't have enough time to explain. <laughs> um, he gets turned into a vampire, and then- I mean, we're only 20 minutes in. We have a little bit of time to explain. Or, yeah, uh, he gets turned into a werewolf. Anyway, in the uh, omake at the end, he gets turned into a dog boy. He gets ears and a tail. <laughs> and he's super cute. <laughs> I know everybody's gaga for cat boys, but like dog boys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, it is adorable. And then the fourth uh, only the first three books were adapted for manga, which is what I've got here. Um, mm -hmm. The next two books, uh, the fourth book is about that whole Egypt situation. Yeah, I think the next two books are about Egypt and trying to figure out what's going on. And we learn that basically a lot more about uh, preternaturals and how they work. And basically, <sighs> two preternaturals... Okay, so a preternatural can like absorb a supernatural's power... And they kind of attract supernaturals, but preternaturals will repel each other like magnets, basically. Oh, okay. Yeah, and one of the reasons why her dad, uh, why Alexia's dad left and then died was because he's a preternatural and Alexia is a preternatural. Ergo, they can't be in the same space together. And it's also rare for a female preternatural to give birth because high likelihood of the baby also being a preternatural and just like, I guess, repelling basically becomes a miscarriage. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm not 100% on, but like, I do get the whole idea that like preternaturals are rare and like maybe mother and child just can't be in the same room together. Yeah. But this does lead to complications with their kid, Rue, because basically they're various other background political stuff happening between the werewolves and the vampires means that for political reasons alexia and connell give their daughter who is a meta natural which means that she can absorb powers and use them from different supernatural creatures not just negate them like her mom can so yeah if she wants to uh rue can turn into a werewolf um or she can turn into a vampire basically at well so she's the main character from Legacies. Yes. She is the tribrid. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. So she winds up getting raised by Lord Akeldama. Okay. Who she calls Dama. So yeah, I was thinking like, this could be expanded to involve uh, the Custer Protocol series, which is the books following Rue. Uh, so these books are set in the 1870s. Custer Protocol is in the 1890s. And then there's a prequel series um, 
the Finishing School series, which is more of an espionage school series, uh, that's set in the 1850s. And yeah, basically seven episode animes. There's usually about four to five books in each series. So right there, there's a lot of content that we can do. Though I haven't read the other books in the series. <laughs> I just really like that in the manga adaptation, the artist's and the author clearly did their work on uh, 1870s fashion. So it didn't just look like, okay, my one th problem with steampunk fashion is that it's often like you get the corset bustier and kind of a skirt and the top hat with some gears on it. Yeah. Or goggles. And it's like Victorian fashion. First of all, there's one, not one unifying Victorian fashion. Every decade had a look. Some of them are more silly than others. Like the 1830s was a lot of mistakes especially when it came to women's fashion. Big poofy sleeves that were like down at the shoulders and then very big poofy skirts. <laughs> <laughs> um, 1870s was the first bustle era. So like in the 18, from the 1840s to the 1860s, you had like the big hoop skirts and crinolines and all that. So 1870s was when all of that volume was moving to the back. So you basically get big butts. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of fashion going on on the butt. And uh, throughout the 1870s, like, the bustle started to get slimmer and the volume was moving further down the skirt. Like, by about 1875, it was probably about mid-thigh. And then, like, near the end of the decade, it was almost, like, down to the knees. And then 1880s is the second bustle era where, again, everything goes up to the butt. But it's a bit more streamlined, I would say. Like, the 1870s, it's kind of poofy also around the hips. And, yeah, just, like, a lot going on in the 1870s. 1880s, it's a bit more, like, streamlined. That's the best word I can I can use to describe it. And then they drop the bustle, and you get the 1880, or the 1890s, and it's, like, the Legamun shirt and the triangles like a-line skirt okay yeah like think more of like the bicycle costumes yeah yeah I, I get what you're saying yeah i i just like going through all the different fashion trends and i like when artists like actually put the work in for what people were wearing at the time because it's so easy to either like half-ass it or again with my criticism of steampunk fashion like just do like a general kind of victorian look but it's not really victorian yeah it's just what they think is victorian yeah and then i don't know get the same company who did castlevania i have no idea who would voice these characters it lord macon should be British voiced by people Scottish. and the <laughs> scottish people also are yeah. there <laughs> people from the British Isles, because honestly, some a lot of North American people can't nail that uh, British accent. And again, some Brits have issues with doing the North American accent. British, innit? <laughs> Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, more named Stephen with a V. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> That's... Oh my god, I haven't even filled out a, a full half hour yet. <laughs> yeah, I think you, you and me, for a few things lately, we've fallen into a hole of, what if this existed in another medium? Yeah. Here it is. Yeah. And scene. 
Because unfortunately, some things are very easy to adapt, and it's like there, there's actually not that many like things that we have to solve with what we are doing, or how we're how we're gonna fix this. Can you make it gayer? Um, yeah, we could probably throw in some more gay rap. Like, yes, there's Lord Akodama, who is like very much a Victorian dandy and is very much into men. <laughs> um, Madame Lafou, she likes girls. Really? The really, really butch hat store owner likes girls? Yeah, yeah, I, I know it's obvious. It also uh, She also makes Alexia question her sexuality, and I'm like, how about we Good for her. make her buy? <laughs> <laughs> she makes her question her sexuality, and she comes back and is like, I have an answer. Bye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I say, Lord Macon, also some sort of bi pansexual somewhere. Along the lines. I don't trust anyone who says a werewolf is straight. Yeah. <laughs> Werewolves are just gay culture at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would say werewolves are like the disaster. Yeah, disaster gays. <laughs> because vampires, at least from what I've seen in pop culture, tend to be more put together unless we're talking about Taika Waititi vampires. <laughs> <laughs> But then again, Anne Rice's vampire is a whole bunch of me messy bitches. Okay. Vampires are fancy upper class gays who I'm not going to say that they're Republicans, but their parents definitely were. Mm -hmm. And so as liberal as they are, they still grew up with a lot of privilege. Yeah. <laughs> and also, also they are vampires. So they grew up in like the 1700s. Yes. There's a lot of vampires that are going to have to reckon with how many of them, their like, parents were plantation owners. Conversely, werewolves, have mostly natural lifespan, are kind of like grunged up and edgy, a little bit emo, a little bit counterculture. Werewolves are theater kids. Yeah. <laughs> werewolves are theater kids. There, we, we said it. You'd think the vampires are theater kids, but no, vampires are just, they, they watch the theater kids go at it. Not like that. <laughs> Maybe a little like that. I'm not going to judge. We're not going to kink shame here. <laughs> but that that being said, if I were to tell you that all vampires are real into voyeurism, you'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. It just makes sense. They're vampires. <laughs> yeah. I mean, immortality, I would imagine, kind of makes you weird about relationships after a while. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if only lovers left alive has anything to say about it, it's being a, in a long-term relationship with a Two vampires in a long-term relationship. You don't always want to be around that person forever. Yeah. Sometimes I need space. <laughs> Adam, you're being too emo. <laughs> uh, Loki only wishes he was as emo as Adam. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, we could totally have Tom Hiddleston guest starring in one of these episodes. Oh, easily. Yes. He'd fit right in. Yep. This whole deal. We'd barely have to animate him. <laughs> It's just a live-action Tom, <laughs> Tom Hiddleston walks on set. He's good enough looking, and also he's fucking tall. <laughs> he's literally like 6'4". It is weird. Um, Yeah, and then mummies are basically pressure naturals who got strong. Also, Alexia gives birth to Rue in an octomatron, which is basically like a mecha octopus why <laughs> because 
they just find one. They're like, oh, this looks a great place to bear a child. Well, they were also fighting an octopus made out of mummies, out of preternatural mummies. Oh, so it was the mummy octopus versus the robot octopus? Yeah. See, that at least makes some kind of sense. Like, narratively? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thematically, yes. <laughs> yeah, octopi are strangely present throughout this, and there's very little reference to Lovecraftian shit. Huh. Old one should be a thing. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe not too heavy handed. Maybe just be like, yeah, it's a thing we got to deal with. Yeah. Look, there's some weird villages near the sea where we're pretty sure we're dealing with worshippers of Dagon and they get weird. Yeah. Just have like a little, uh, like a, a, a plot cul de sac in Innsmouth. Yep. <laughs> This is one of those things that probably wouldn't cross over too well with cosmic horror, but you could add a few more cosmic horror aspects to it. Like an amuse-bouche of cosmic yeah. horror. But that's not yeah. the point. Yeah. And also, the you know what? There's, is... there's so much crossover between steampunk and cosmic horror already. Yeah. Actually, so actually, you know what? I think we would be better off if we kept them separate. If it was, no, okay. this is purely the, 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 the European dark fantasy or European yeah. supernatural. Yeah, supernatural gothic fantasy with a whole lot of romance. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, the romance happens fast and I'm actually fine with that. Because sometimes it's just like, hey, let's cut to the chase. I like ya. If they have good enough chemistry, it makes sense. It makes sense that they like jump the gun on getting physically intimate. And then if there's any kind of slow burn, air quote, air quote, it's just the, the emotional stuff kind of catching up. Yeah, because I can't tell you how many times I got first group with a fanfic that went with the slow burn route, and it was fucking painful. <laughs> like, a after a certain point, this just becomes filler. So, yeah, and then throw it onto not Netflix. I don't know, what's the most stable platform right now? There's no, there's no such thing as a stable platform. We'll manifest, we'll just manifest it. Yeah. Does this going to appear one day? We'll put it on Tubi. Actually, I think Tubi is the most stable platform. Yeah, that's weird. That's real weird. Because they're just vibing. They're not... They can't make bad business decisions because they don't make business decisions, period. They just let... Wait for rights to, I think, just fall into their laps, which is why almost everything on there is free. Put Power Rangers on Tubi. That would be awesome. Yeah. And, uh... Yeah, that's pretty much it. And, I don't know. Throw in... Custard Protocol and the Finishing School series. So sounds good. Yep. Again, one of those straightforward, hey, not allowed to fix. Let's just adapt this. <laughs> anyway, I saw a friendship promo drinking a pina colada at Trader Vic's, and its hair was perfect. Hi, are you a fan of the Persona video games? What about post apocalyptic worlds with desperate people drawn together for a common good? How about all the drama and excitement and heartbreak that happens in college? If you like the sound of any of these things, you'll like Memento Mori, a TTRPG podcast based loosely on the Persona universe. We've got some big stories to tell, with plenty of humor thrown in the mix. So come join Nat, Dante, Eli, and House as they balance on the thin line between the mysterious dream world that lurks below their college campus and the real lives they're desperately trying to build. I'll see you there! All right, Lindsay, where can you be found on the internet? I can be found on Twitter at lindsaym476, that's Lindsay spelled with an A, and you can get to all my other social media bullshits from there. Tanner, where can people find you? 
You can find me on Twitter at SparkyUpstart and on Instagram at SparkyYoungUpstart. And you can also find this very podcast on Twitter at N-I-I-R-Y-F-Pod. Those are the letters for Not If I Reboot You First that are pronounced Awoo! You can also email us at notifireboutyoufirst at gmail.com where you can send us your comments, critiques, criticisms, and your favorite messy supernatural characters. <laughs> Not that supernatural, I'm just talking general. Oh, but, but Destiel. <laughs> Fuck Destiel. That's the plan. <laughs> Tiamo. God. That show. Did you hear about Misha Collins coming out of straight? I heard. Oh, no. <laughs> Ryan was like, you're playing a dangerous game there, Sauce. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Remember when we told you we had an email? Well, that's also where you could send us a friendship promo. Uh, and it's either an audio clip or a proof for us to read. But either way, we'll put in a free ad for your podcast or YouTube or even your DeviantArt. Not if I ever beat you first. This is a member of the Corner Podcast Network. And you can talk more about this show or others on the network via our Corner Podcast Discord. Our cover art, as always, is by Alex, and her work can be found on ptchew.com, and our theme music is done by our friend Sean Clake, whose contact info was available upon request. This podcast was recorded on Treaty 4 territory, the traditional lands of the Cree, Sotol, and Assiniboine, and homeland of the Métis. Please tell me that we're going to have a longer episode next time. I- I don't- I don't know. Honestly, I didn't even know what I was gonna suggest coming into this episode. <laughs> um, but you know what? Do you- Lindsay, do you plan on talking about MKUltra anytime soon? Um, <laughs> look, there's a lot of ways that I can shove in M- M- MKUltra at any point, but- But- but like, are you- Because if- okay, if I were to talk about MKUltra next week, does that mean yeah. that you'd be able to hold off for a little bit just so we don't accidentally create a theme month about the Cold War? Yes, yes, I can do that. <laughs> okay, next month, we're going to talk about MK Ultra and also a comic book that I think only I read. Okay. But we will debunk that next week. Not if we reboot you first. Bye. Bye. <laughs>